This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast. This is a regular podcast series co-hosted by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen and the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku in Finland. I'm Duncan Macargo. I'm the director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. I'm also a professor of political science at the University of Copenhagen, and I'm particularly interested in the topic we're going to be talking about today. We have with us Andreas Forsby, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and we're going to be talking about the relationship between Denmark and China, which is something of a great deal of interest at the moment. Andreas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, this should be an interesting discussion. Now, how would you describe the relations between Denmark and the People's Republic of China uh, these days, just to, to get us into the topic a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so um, this should be a good year. It's the 70th anniversary of uh, diplomatic uh, relations right. between the People's Republic of China and Denmark. And uh, Denmark was one of the very first Western countries to recognize mm-hmm. and establish diplomatic relations with China. So, um, of course, with the coronavirus epidemic taking its toll on both China and Denmark, uh, celebrations have been uh, put on hold. Um Still, I, I'm a little skeptical that there would be that much to celebrate these days. I mean, on the one hand, official government-to-government relations seem pretty good. We have this comprehensive strategic partnership with China. Um, we have 58 memorandums of understanding that are guiding Chinese-Danish relations. Uh, we are actually right now in the process of updating our um, work program that is sort of guiding, uh, you know, daily Chinese-Danish uh, relations. We have, uh, you know, the, the our um, diplomatic mission in Beijing is uh, the biggest uh, embassy uh, of Denmark's in the world. Uh, we have, you know, last year received two pandas to Copenhagen Zoo, and there are a lot of, you know, indicators that's, that suggest that relations are pretty good between Denmark and China right now. On the other hand, we have seen this change of, um, of political attitude towards China uh, recently in Denmark. I think it was most um, forcefully, uh, visibly uh, demonstrated um, in December 2018 when we had a, a debate in the Danish parliament, the Folketinget, uh, where you literally had all the foreign policy speakers going to the podium to express their their concern about the rise of China, and the, the debate itself was entitled "The Rising Influence of China uh, mm-hmm. in Denmark." Um, and just this year, I mean, it's not been off to a very good start. We've had several incidents. Um, First, we had the satirical drawing in uh, one of the leading Danish newspapers, Jyllandsposten. Uh, that, um, you know, um, had a drawing of the Chinese flag where the, the five stars were replaced with the coronavirus-like symbols. Uh, and the Chinese reacted quite uh, furiously and demanded an apology from uh, Um Then we had the erection uh, of a pillar of shame in front of uh, the Danish parliament uh, in a very conspicuous place. And, of course, that also 
uh, had the Chinese, um, you know, uh, drawing the eye. It, it drew the eye from the Chinese, um, and they also, you know, were asking why it was um, allowed to have uh, such a such a uh, you could say um, a display of of uh, solidarity as it was uh, intended to be uh, of solidarity with the Chinese. Oh, sorry, with the Hong Kong protesters, the Hong Kong activists. Why it would be allowed to be placed in uh, in such a visible, a conspicuous uh, setting as just in front of the Danish Parliament, and then uh, most recently we had the Feng Xie, uh, the Chinese ambassador to Denmark. Um, he went uh, in the media this week to um, to sort of lecture the media about uh, how. Um, biased their views are on China, how they don't show any sort of gratitude uh, when China is, you know, uh, extending its mask diplomacy, as it's called, to Denmark and, and shipping off these uh, equipment, uh, medical equipments to Denmark. So why are we all the time just focus on the negative aspects of uh, the rise of China and never sort of show any gratitude towards uh, the Chinese? So, um so that's been a lot of frustration uh, on the Chinese side recently. So that's why I was a bit skeptical about how much there really was to celebrate uh, if we didn't have the intervention of the coronavirus anyway. Right. So maybe we could step back a little bit from all these um, recent controversies to situate the, the relationship with a, with a little bit more context because rather seems to me, I mean, yes, it's the 70th anniversary, but then there are ongoing relations between Denmark and China in its previous incarnations, as it were, going back before those 70 years. There does seem to be a kind of, is it just my imagination, a, a greater warmth between Denmark and China uh, if we compare the relationship with, say, uh, you know, other countries in the Nordic region or other European countries. There's a bit of a, a, bit of a special connection here, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's true that um, historical relations have been quite good. I mean, despite some twists and turns, as the Chinese like to uh, to uh, put it. Um, I mean, we do enjoy a, a long history. Um, and the Chinese have always been sort of enchanted by the Little Mermaid and uh, Hans Christian mm. Andersen is... Yes. Uh, household uh, members uh, of all Chinese families, uh, so to speak. Um, I mean, the history between the People's Republic of China and Denmark uh, has also been quite um, good in, in some respects. I mean, of course, we were on different sides of the uh, Cold War conflict, uh, and the Danish governments did sort of, you know, they didn't deviate too much from the official Western line towards China during this period. At the same time, however, I think um, there were some very significant um, uh, gestures from China, from Danish governments during the Cold War history that, you know, contributed to this, uh, this cordial relationship, if we can uh, put it like that. Uh, first of all, um, Denmark was, as I mentioned from, uh, at the outset, we were among the very first countries to recognize the People's Republic of China uh, in January in 1950, mm -hmm. uh, established diplomatic relations in June of the same year. We um, were very uh, quickly uh, endorsing the One China principle, something which is also very uh, important to the Chinese side. Um, we did also support the People's Republic of China in its struggle 
you know, to gain a seat in the United Nations. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, we had a lot of social democratic governments uh, during that period, and they were generally quite sympathetic towards the anti-colonial struggle of the PRC. And in that sense, we we were, you know, trying to support the PSC in its own um, uh, struggle to gain the seat in the UN. Uh, we also were... We also uh, supported the PSC when they started uh, the opening uh, up program under Deng Xiaoping uh, in the 80s. The Danish state uh, granted some very favorable state loans that were instrumental in helping China uh, get started with its uh, development, its economic development. Um, so in many ways, uh, we were helpful. At least we tried to to be more supportive of the PSE than many mm. other Western countries during the, that same period. And that was something that the Chinese, uh, of course, um, paid attention to and remembered. Um, but then we had the, um, the, the sort of uh, traumatic moment of the, of the Tiananmen uh, massacre that sort of was a strategic disruption of Danish-Chinese relations. Um, this came about at a time when, you know, uh, Denmark was also reorienting its own foreign policy towards a more activist and, and a more morally guided kind of foreign policy line. Uh, so Denmark was actually among the very first countries to to um, uh, subject China to an embargo, uh, an mm-hmm. economic embargo. Um, and we also, you know, started to be very openly critical uh, towards China um, and its human rights violations. So um, so there was that period in the 90s when we had this sort of megaphone diplomacy uh, where we were very vocal in our cri- criticism of China. And then again, things started to normalize uh, by the late 90s. Um, and and since then, I think uh, Danish-Chinese relations have been on a very good footing. Uh, we have um, done our very best to engage China on a n- number uh, of different accounts. Uh, so it's not only that the relationship has deepened, uh, mm-hmm. it's also diversified. Um, and we have this comprehensive strategic partnership um, since 2008. Um, and uh, as you also alluded to, we are actually the only Nordic country to have such a comprehensive strategic mm-hmm. partnership with uh, right. with uh, with China. So that also matters. Right. So there are these positives, and quite a bit of this comes out of a sort of socialistic sympathy that uh, Denmark of a couple of decades ago may have felt more strongly towards China. Also, it's, it's quite almost comic to imagine now that Denmark could help China with its economic development, given the relative size of these two countries. So that's a, that's a fascinating detail. There was a point where uh, China really needed a smaller country like Denmark to come and give them some sort of financial support. That really puts things into, into perspective, doesn't it? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So. You know, you've you've mentioned lots of ups and downs. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think in the past few years China's been more assertive in sort of pushing forward its core interests in the context of that bilateral relationship? Uh, is that a trend? Yeah, that's that's a very um, good question. I mean, my first observation would be that, uh, of course, 
China is uh, more assertive um, and has become more assertive over the past uh, decade. I mean, it, it goes without saying that uh, the rise of China has enabled its uh, leadership to, you know, um, be pl to play a, a large role on the international scene to defend and promote its core interests uh, uh, more assertively than previously and all that. Um, and I think that, you know, one other very important uh, observation to make uh, from the outset is that when we see Chinese attempts at, you know, promoting its uh, or defending its core, it, its interests abroad, I think it almost always boils down to these so-called core interests. And what I mean by, by core interests, um, that is, um, you know, uh, to to um, safeguard the territorial uh, integrity and sovereignty of the People's Republic of China, to um, to um, you know defend the uh, monopoly of power uh, of the Chinese Communist Party, and to also ensure the social and economic stability of mm. of, uh, of the country. So, with with those uh, you know concerns being very critical to the Chinese uh, regime. I think we've also seen some examples in Denmark uh, in recent years where, you know, the Chinese has, has been trying to push the agenda more assertively than previously. Um, one case that has been <laughs> brought to public attention uh, on numerous occasions and, and really has had a big impact on, on also, you know, uh, perceptions of China in, in Denmark and the media coverage of China and all that, that case, of course, is, um, um, you know, uh, it, it goes back to Hu Xintao, the former Chinese president, his visit to Denmark back in June 2012. Um, this was actually the first ever uh, visit by a Chinese state of, uh, head of state sorry, um, to Denmark. And uh, ahead of this state visit, uh, the Chinese were very eager to sort of lobby the Danish government to ensure that, that Hu Xintao would not be exposed to any uh, China-critical manifestations of any kind. Um, and this message was certainly communicated uh, uh, to uh, law enforcement authorities in Denmark. So when we had the visit and, uh, you know, Hu Xintao was... Uh, going with his motorcade uh, through the streets of Copenhagen, uh, we had police authorities uh, literally blocking demonstrators from, uh, you know, uh, showing their banners or mm. simply blocking the line of sight uh, of these demonstrators. Um, and, of course, this constituted a constitutional breach, um, you know, uh, preventing these demonstrators from using their freedom of expression or assembly. Um, and to begin with, the police tried to cover up uh, that they had prevented the demonstrators from uh, using their constitutional guaranteed rights. Uh, but, uh, you know, the media uh, uh, were able to, to disclose some of these details. And, and uh, at the end, you had the Danish Folketing setting down this uh, special or establishing this special investigatory commission, the mm -hmm. Tabit Commission, uh, which... Uh, um, 
which took a very, uh, which had a quite broad mandate uh, and had a renewed mandate actually uh, some years ago to really uncover uh, how, what was the scope of, of, this, uh, of this constitutional breach and who gave the orders. And so this has been, you know, uh, it's been, uh, um, it's had had prominent uh, position in the Danish media for several years. And, right. and, you know, at the same time, there were a lot of other stories that uh, popped up in the Danish media about how the Chinese embassy in Denmark had been, you know, putting pressure on several Danish organizations and also uh, uh, municipalities to, you know, uh, defend uh, Chinese core interest again uh, by, you know, uh, curtailing or limiting the freedom of expression of certain China critical uh, uh, voices or uh, persons uh, in, the, in, in within Denmark. Um, so all of this has, of course, been contributing to a lot of negative press. Uh, so yes, China has been more assertive. Its, it's uh, embassy has been more assertive in pushing uh, its core interests and its you know, not been successful in the sense, yeah, in a superficial sense, it's been successful because, you know, back in 2012, you did have the Danish police authorities um, prevent these demonstrators um, from from uh, from um, being able to uh, show their banners and all that. But at the same time, you have seen, you know, some serious repercussions, some negative backlash, so to speak, um, that has, you know, come back to haunt the Chinese and has really contributed to a very negative uh, to very negative public perceptions of China and to very negatively and even to the point of being biased media in, in Denmark when it comes to covering China. So yeah, uh, it's you can definitely talk about uh, uh, you know China being more assertive to some extent and 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 it's not been very successful, I would say. Hmm. Now you know you say all this and I and I take your point. There are obviously quite a number of these events, episodes that have taken place. I've, in my capacity as a fairly newly appointed director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, I was on a bit of a roadshow um, at the end of last year. I went to all the other Nordic countries. And I've got to say, uh, Denmark seems to be pretty positive in its relations with China. If you compare the, the kind of conversations I was having with people uh, in countries like Sweden uh, compared to the conversations in Denmark, got the impression that despite these issues, which are obviously quite significant that you mentioned, they don't seem to loom nearly as large in either academic, public policy or collective consciousness as they do in some of uh, the other Nordic countries or other European countries. Do you think that, do you think that that's the case? And, you know, why is it like Denmark and Sweden are so close? Uh, people go back and forth across the border every day. Many people are living and working between the two countries. Why is there such a big difference uh, in the, the attitudes and relations between such close neighboring countries as Denmark and Sweden, for example? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Um, it's also been, uh, I've also been wondering about it. I mean, for a long time, I would say Denmark's and Sweden's relations with China were quite alike. I mean, still we had a more formalized relationship with the Comprehensive Strategic Partnership uh, than the Swedish side. But other than that, I think we were uh, often uh, pursuing things from more or less the same perspective. So in recent years, the Swedes have um, had their, you could say, (laughs) 
uh, meltdown of relations with China. Mm. And I think one of the main reasons uh, is the continued detainment of a Swedish citizen, a former Hong Kong citizen, yeah. Gui Minhai, um, uh, who had published literature that was critical of the Chinese regime um, and was um, detained during a holiday in Thailand um, and has not been handed over to the Swedish side uh, despite several requests from the Swedish governments. So, I mean, that has, that has mm -hmm. been an enormous strain on Swedish-Chinese relations. At the same time, the Swedish side has been, in general, a, a bit more um, active in its um, criticism of China, especially when it comes to human rights violations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Denmark shares uh, Sweden's concerns about China's human rights violations, but we tend to do it in a more discreet manner. Usually we bring up these issues on the sideline of the bilateral meetings, or we, we are pretty constant with sort of outsourcing this critical dialogue with the Chinese, um, either to uh, the EU, uh, to Brussels, which has its uh, human rights uh, dialogue uh, annually with the Beijing, or uh, the Danish government has uh, uh, outsourced some of this dialogue, this critical dialogue, to uh, non-governmental organizations, um, especially the Danish Institute of Human Rights, mm -hmm. um, which has carried out a more sort of uh, practice-oriented uh, right. dialogue with, with China, uh, featuring less controversial aspects of the, of the human rights um, regime. Um, so how do we compare? I mean, in general, um, I think that Sweden belongs to the most uh, China-critical category. I just saw an opinion poll from the Pew Research Center that mm. showed us that, that the Sweden these days is actually the most China critical uh, or has the most China critical uh, population uh, among the Western countries, uh, something right. they share with the Japanese. So that's quite uh, significant. We've seen, you know, of course, the, the, the Swedish, uh, or sorry, the, the Chinese uh, embassy in, in Stockholm uh, being quite active uh, over the past couple of years, uh, lashing out against the Swedish um, uh, NGOs, media, uh, academics, and even politicians. So um, we've seen something maybe uh, you know similar, similarly uh, going on in Denmark uh, over the past uh, couple of months. We've seen the, the Chinese embassy in Copenhagen being more active, and you know also uh, going into the media with its um, its message about uh, how biased the Danish media are and stuff like that. But still, in general, I think the Danish government tries to maintain good relations with the, the Chinese. We have a very strong economic relationship that we don't want to uh, put at risk. Um, and if you sort of lift the gaze or zoom out a bit, um, I would say in a European context, um, if the Swedes together with, let's say, Germany and the United Kingdom, are among the most critical uh, governments of China. Of course, they still want to engage China economically, but they have their political differences, to say the least. Um, Denmark would fall into sort of a middle category, together with Norway, Finland, uh, and other Western European countries. And then we have a third category, you know, uh, of Southern and Eastern European countries, which in general are 
far less critical of China and have even at some occasions tried to block uh, the EU from, you know, making joint statements critical of China's uh, mm. behavior in the South China Sea or with respect to human rights violations in the, in the Xinjiang province or stuff like that. Um, so um, Denmark sort of uh, finds itself in a, a mid position, I would say, in a European, in a broader European context, but. In general, we try to be critical, but in a discreet manner, I, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I've been living myself until the middle of last year, dividing my time between the US and the UK. And the, the feeling from those countries is obviously very, very different. But perhaps it's partly a sense of less of a power imbalance. I mean, if you're living in a country which has quite strong defense capacity and quite a strong sort of tradition of, of playing a leading role on the world stage, then China does might, you know, might be not our favorite country, as it were, but it doesn't <laughs> loom nearly as large on the horizon, perhaps as it does for, for a very small country, uh, which doesn't have, I assume, uh, anything like the naval capacity or, or defensive capacity of larger ones. So there may be a sense in which some of these concerns are amplified um, and magnified by the situation. I don't know whether there's something specific about a small state, but it's, it's quite curious to think that people in a, a small country like Sweden, very far from China, are actually so uh, sort of upset about China that they're more agitated about it almost than the Japanese who have the Chinese right on their border and have a long-standing set of historical reasons why they, they wouldn't really be getting along with each other. It is, it is a, it's For sure. a phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's some excellent observations. I mean, um, I think that Denmark um, might be, you know, moving in the same direction as Sweden has been moving uh, recently. And I think the main reason for that is that Denmark, as a small state, is very much dependent on the United States, and we have seen this massive change of. of uh, perceptions and, and the political atmosphere in Washington, the Washington establishment right. in, in recent years. We saw it with the Mike Pence's uh, speech at the Hudson Institute where he sort of, you know, laid down this new vision of a far more co uh, confrontational uh, China policy. And uh, what I found really interesting about um, this um, this change uh, of the U.S. foreign policy line towards China was that it just took a couple of months before we had a similar debate going on in the Danish parliament. As I talked about uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we had this uh, debate in the Danish Folketing uh, in December 2018, and uh, Mike Pence made his um, Hudson speech in October of the same year. And uh, I think we should expect Denmark to, you know, uh, be moving in the same direction as we've uh, seen the U.S. Uh, been going uh, in, in terms of its China policy in, in recent years. I think we simply rely too much on the U.S. to just sort of, you know, maintain uh, um, a hedging position uh, or a balanced position where you don't take any sides. I think that's that's not going to be feasible in the longer run uh, from a Danish perspective. Uh, we have already seen some um, cases where, you know, the U.S. side has uh, 
pushed, uh, put public pressure even on Denmark to, you know, accommodate a U.S. interest. Um, we've seen it in Greenland where, mm-hmm. you know, the U.S. has made very clear that they don't want China to be able to have any sort of strategic foothold uh, uh, in Greenland. Uh, one case was when uh, a Chinese um, investment consortium uh, was offering to uh, help uh, build the the airport, new in, airport infrastructure in Greenland, uh, something the, the uh, Greenland authorities uh, found was a very good idea, but uh, the, the U.S. sort of, you know, vetoed that and, and made clear that uh, they wouldn't have any um, any uh, investments from Chinese consortium in Greenland. We had another case uh, where the Chinese wanted to uh, uh, take over an abandoned a marine station in Grønnedal, Greenland, and again the U.S. side put pressure on the Danish side to not allow it. Um, we have seen it, of course, in the, the Huawei case. Uh, the U.S. has been very firm and very, um, very vocal in its opposition to Huawei, and and after you know conveying that message to uh, Danish, um, the Danish government, um, we had you know, the Danish defense minister and the head of the Danish defense intelligence service going out into the media and, and uh, explaining very carefully that there would be some serious reservations about allowing Huawei to help uh, Denmark build its 5G uh, uh, infrastructure, digital infrastructure. And, you know, uh, a month later, the, the private Danish mobile network operator, TDC, came to the conclusion that uh, they would uh, uh, abandon their, their uh, partnership with Huawei. They had been uh, helpful when building the 4G network, uh, but now they would uh, instead team up with Ericsson. And they, they specified this was based solely on, on commercial uh, mm. motivations, but I right. found that, and I think most found that very hard to believe with all these yeah. uh, careful instructions from uh, politicians yeah. and, and uh, other officials. Uh, so yeah, so we have we have seen these um, yes. these examples that that Denmark uh, is very much aware of the U.S. line in these uh, cases. Right. I mean, clearly the, the the U.S. line has to loom fairly large given where Denmark is positioned in terms of its its broader alliances. Although you know, I was in Shanghai quite a bit uh, right after the uh, election of Donald Trump to the presidency, and initially, at least the. The colleagues and the students I was meeting in universities there were rather enthusiastic about the new uh, American administration. Uh, it doesn't seem like the Trump administration has been wholeheartedly hostile to Chinese interests all the time, too, either, does it? It's a little bit hard to pin down exactly where the U.S. administration is. And does that create a problem, given that, to put it crudely, the White House seems to blow hot and cold on, on China as it does on many other issues? Does that leave a small country and to some degree overshadowed by the U.S. in terms of foreign and defense policy? A little bit of a difficult situation knowing where to position itself. Are, are we blowing hot or cold today? Has that been a bit of a problem for Denmark to adapt to what's been not entirely a consistent position uh, from the U.S.? I think you're very right about that. Um, I do think, however, that um, since... You know, this to begin with, it's true that the Trump administration went in a different direction, and, and right. Trump himself prided himself of you know having this uh, personal chemistry right. that was very good with the, the Chinese president. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But I think since he launched uh, the Trump administration, since they launched the trade war, mm. and since they started to, you know, put a lot of pressure on China, also with respect to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and so on, I think it's it's sort of um, quite clear to mm. not only Beijing that the U.S. has launched this far more controversial, this far more uh, confrontational uh, policy, yeah. but also to U.S. Uh, allies and partners right. that this is something uh, of a game changer. It's not mm. going to be like if Joe Biden is elected uh, later this year, uh, we'll see a shift back to uh, normal, so to speak, right. uh, the, the normal way of, of uh, having yes. U.S.-China relations. We've seen decoupling trends that are quite significant already. They might even be accelerated by the coronavirus uh, oh. because of the closing of borders and the yes. termination of, of the of the trade uh, regimes and all that. Um, so I, I do think that um, in Copenhagen, they are sort of planning uh, how to deal with a far more confrontational uh, uh, U.S.-Chinese relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the few things nowadays that that uh, goes, uh, you know, across uh, partisan lines. And that's bipartisan mm-hmm. support for a confrontational China policy. So uh, I hope, to, so to speak, um, that they realize that much also in Copenhagen and that... Uh, that they are planning how to safeguard, you know, Danish investments in China because they are quite significant. China has never been investing much in Denmark, uh, right. but the Danish business community have some yeah. significant uh, interest in China and how to safeguard these uh, investments if uh, push really comes to shove and the U.S., uh, you know, uh, increases its pressure on, on Denmark to uh, sort of distance itself even further uh, towards China and China-backed um, initiatives. Yes. So if we summed up, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, it's it has been a warm relationship. It's also been quite a complicated relationship. It's got more tricky and difficult in recent years. And what's been going on globally in terms of um, the not just the quote unquote, more assertive China, but also more, perhaps a more assertive and confrontational US position, puts a small country like Denmark in quite a delicate place. And there's a great deal at stake because this is a really, really important relationship for Denmark. And when times of global uncertainty, um, partly because of those wider geopolitical issues, but also the, the coronavirus, which is throwing all our understandings about normality and abnormality um, into a completely different context. So lots of food for thought here, Andres. I'm sure we'll be coming back to, to talk about these kind of issues again, uh, virtually or in person. The story will run <laughs> and run. Um, but thanks very much indeed for sharing your thoughts on Danish-China relations for the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Duncan. Okay, you've been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast, which is brought to you by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen and the Center for East Asian Studies at University of Turku in Finland. I'm Duncan Macargo, the director of NEAS, and we look forward to having you with us again for future podcasts very soon. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.